Welcome to Credit Union Discussions, the podcast where we meet exciting people from the world of credit unions and discuss the latest news and trends. In this episode, I'm joined by Michelle O'Donoghue, Director of Audit and Business Advisory at RBK Chartered Accountants and well known to many credit unions. We are going to discuss two recent decisions by the Financial Services and Pensions Ombudsman, which impact credit unions. The first is a decision relating to the operation of minor accounts where a bank was deemed to have wrongfully permitted withdrawals of €66,000 from a child's account. And the second is a decision where the Ombudsman ruled in favour of a credit union that had reduced life savings insurance. Michelle, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Michael. Lovely to be here. Before we get started, Michelle, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background and what your interests are and I suppose how you became a Director of Audit and Business Advisory with RBK. Okay, so I suppose I qualified as a Chartered Accountant um, 20 years ago for my sins. Um, I started my articles with a Cork-based firm called Moylan Mulcahy and Company. Now, they've since merged with Mazars. And at the time, Moylan Mulcahy were the auditors to Ballancolly Credit Union. Um, and I worked on that as part of my training contract. Um, and then when I qualified, um, I moved to Dublin and I went to work for Oliver Freeney and Company. Now, coincidentally, they've since merged with Smith and Williamson. Uh, so I suppose I have a habit of working for firms that merge with other firms. Um, but while I was there, I worked on the audit of Hanson Street Credit Union. And of course, as we know, they've since merged and they're, they're now part of Heritage. But then after 14 years in Dublin, I was looking to move a bit back closer to home. So I, myself and my husband picked Athlone as the destination. And my mainstream background was, was audit. And I joined RBK then as a, a senior audit manager and initially started working on mainstream corporate audits and the like, but then quickly became involved with their credit union team. And I was with RBK for about 18 months, I think, when I agreed that I would join their, their credit union team on a more full-time basis and that I would begin leading out the services to the sector um, that RBK offer. Your background is very interesting and my own background is actually audit and accounting as well and I used to do the audits of a few credit unions myself and that was actually what got me interested in going working in credit unions so I jumped to the other side to go working in it so yes a very interesting background. So let's jump in now to the Ombudsman's discussions and I suppose the first one and this is in response to an article that you put up on the RBK website about the Ombudsman's decision requiring a bank to pay back €66,000 in restitution. The you know, and obviously, if that was to impact the credit union, it would be a very expensive to have such a claim. And before we get into the details of the ombudsman's decision, can you outline the reasons why minor accounts do cause so much difficulty in credit unions and obviously in banks as well? And can you share any examples of best practice that you've seen around credit unions? The reason they cause so much difficulty is probably because, you know, parents set them up and initially or it's a guardian that sets them up. And they're very well intentioned when they're opened, uh, kind of along the lines of, you know, I'll save the children's allowance. And then when my child grows up and goes to college, there's a fund there to put them through college or they might need some orthodontics or whatever the case might be. And I'll, I'll have a nest egg there to, to fund that rather than being cut short when the time comes. But the problem is that as soon as you open an account and put a child's name on it, you're essentially only acting as a custodian for the funds. It's not your money. And, and parents tend to forget that or guardians tend to forget that, that they're really only acting as the custodian and that they have an obligation to look after the money and use it 
for the benefit of the child. And before I get into maybe sharing some of the best practice, like I have plenty of, of, of war stories um, that I can share with you. I might share one or two of those with you. I mean, I did see a case where well-intentioned parents opened an account for their child and the next thing is you're looking at it and they all decided to go on a, on a family holiday to Disneyland and the money in the child's account was used to fund the holiday to Disneyland. I saw another case where parents had been saving the children's allowance for the college fund that I've just kind of alluded to. And when the child was about to turn 16, the mother was petrified that the child would see all this money and go, oh, happy days. I have, you know, 20 grand here and would spend it all. So the, the mother took the money out of the account and lodged it to a different account. So when the child got it, there was maybe two or three grand in it instead of the, the 20 grand that had previously been there. And that that's obviously a complete no-no. It was all very well intentioned. But if the mother wanted to save for a college fund, I suppose the money should never have been put into a, a, an account with the child's name on it. So in terms of best practice, well, what do we see? Some of the things they see is that when accounts are opened, the parent is asked to sign a waiver that says, I understand that this money is not mine and I will use it for the benefit of the child. And, you know, anything that I that any withdrawals that I make will be for the purposes of, of buying something or, or benefiting the child in, in some other way. I think the other problem with it is that maybe when children reach a certain age, you know, and, and very often we see this age of seven is used, that, that children are allowed to go in at maybe eight years of age and take money out in their in their own name. Things like having a limit that an eight or nine year old can take out on their own if they're signing on their own without mammy or daddy or the guardian present. For the credit union to have, or our banks indeed, to have some sort of protection that the child isn't under some sort of duress. So you're not allowing a, a seven or eight year old to take out you know, amounts maybe more than than 100 euros at a time. I think one of the other things that we saw then in this ombudsman article and ombudsman ruling was to do with the signatories on the account. And it varies differently. Some institutions will require that up to a certain age, it's the parent or guardian and the child. Um, some will say once the child gets to a certain age, they can sign on their own. So it's about having procedures in place, I suppose, to make sure that whatever the signing authority is, that it's actually there in, in, in practice. And, and maybe another safeguard is that beyond a certain age and up to an, another ceiling of an age before the child reaches the age of, of adulthood, that it might be no harm to have a, a joint signature, parent and child, so that that the child is is protected in some way, but but similarly, there's a, a level of protection there for the parent also. Yeah, I think you've made some very good points there. And I suppose some of those war stories, we'd be familiar with it ourselves as well. And I think we've been lucky that we've always been pretty strict ourselves on the operation of the children's accounts. But, you know, that intention and the good intentions of the parents, and we do try to communicate clearly with the parents. You know, once you open the account in the child's name, it is the child's money. And we've gone through a couple of versions of our forms over the years as well, because, you know, you'd have one of those war stories and you'd be looking back at the documents and say, we'd say, how can we strengthen this document? So when the parent is signing it, that they understand it very clearly that the money is in the child's name. And as you say, 
you know, it is that intention that they're putting it there for the child, but then something comes up and they need it for something else. And, you know, child benefit money, should that go into a child, children's account? Look, it's great when parents can put money into a child's account for their future, but I would agree with you. I think in those cases, a parent really should be setting up a separate a second account for themselves for that saving purpose rather than put into the child's account. And the child's money, the child's account should be the child's money only. And, and yeah, and those the stories of the people, t- child turning 16, 17 years of age, where they come in and, and clear out the credit union account as well. And you know, we've all seen seen cases of that as well. And we've had cases like that in our own credit union where Nant was saving for many years for the child and child turned sixteen, came in and cleared out the account and you know, the aunt was disgusted that they did that, but you know, she had saved to put into into account's name. There was nothing that she or we could do about it. And I think it's also very important actually the duty of care as well to our members, both the child and the parent as well. And what we do in our place as well, especially between that seven and sixteen year gap, we always ensure that we have both the child and the parent when they're coming in to do the withdrawal. So we don't allow one without the other. You know, so if a child comes in, technically, yeah, that's the child's money. The child can withdraw the money after seven years of age. But we don't allow the child to withdraw the money unless the parent is with him. And vice versa, if the parent is coming in, we expect to see the child in if the child is over seven years as well. And that just reinforces what we try to do. And you know, sometimes it causes problems and I can remember one more story of our own where a child of 14 or 15 came in to withdraw 2,000 euro from the account. We wouldn't let the child withdraw the money. The parent was actually out in the car as it happens and the parent came in and they said, why can't why can't Johnny withdraw the money? And said, look, we need to have a parent here and so you're happy for him to withdraw 2,000 euro and the parent turned and looked at the child, 2,000 euro? You were supposed to come in looking for 200 euro. So the child was going to go out with an awful lot of money. <laughs> Than the parent had sent the child in for, you know. So there, so you have to, you can't. There's so many different things that can happen, and that's it. So, but because we had that rule in place, and it was a procedure rather than a policy, that is, this is the procedure we apply to it. It did protect the child, it protected the parent, it protected us, the credit union as well. So, yeah. So you, you have to be very, very careful. But you mentioned there on the signing authority on the account, and I think this is a critical one as well. And I think if people read through the ombudsman ruling. I think it's very clear about where the bank tried to make one claim, whereas the documentation was saying something else. And we reviewed our own documentation afterwards. We are going to make another slight change based on the ombudsman ruling, but we're happy enough with any reason for what we have. But I think it should be very clear from the documentation that the signature on the account is the child's signature. I think it needs to be very clear that it's the child's account, child's money, and at all points of time, the child is the signature on the account. And it's the parent is acting as a guardian or a parent at other times, and maybe taking a withdrawal where it is for the sole use of the child. But I think it should be very clear, and credit should make it very clear that this money is purely for the child. As you say, giant accounts or something like that is another way around it as well, to have it have a giant account with the child if a parent wants to sort of have jointly manage the money and open up a giant account, although the operation of giant accounts can become messy as well. What do you what what's, what recommendations would you give to credit unions now? Say today, say okay, we've had this ruling. What would you recommend that credit unions should do today to make sure that they don't have, leave themselves exposed to something like this? Well, I think what they need to do first of all is probably take out the policy or the set of procedures that they have that governs how they operate these child accounts. And again, it varies. Some credit unions have it written into their membership policy, and other credit unions have a set of procedures. But I think it's very important, whichever way it's documented, to take out those practices and do a root and branch review of them and say, you know, what is it that we're doing? Uh, where are we possibly falling short? 
how can we improve what we're doing and do we have enough protection in place for ourselves, for the parents and for the child. And I mean, credit unions have internal audit functions, risk functions and compliance functions. And I I know ourselves, you know, with our clients, we're uh, doing thematic reviews in the area of of children, minor accounts and, and other vulnerable accounts. And we're saying, what is the best practice and, and how can we make sure that we've updated our procedures so that we're not left wanting? It's very important that the risk roles, the risk and internal audit functions and the compliance functions have a look at this. And I know in our own place now, to be fair, our, our risk and compliance and internal audit are very strong in this. And they, every time we update an application form, it goes through, they all get a good look at it and scrutinise it to make sure we're covering all of the different aspects that we need to have on it. But yeah, it's, I think now is a good opportunity for credit to read this ruling and then you know assess the observations of the ombudsman and actually how would they apply in with their on their own forms or on their own procedures and just do a sanity check between one and the other. And I think if they do that, they'll cover off most things. And again, it's a rare occasion something like this happens, but we need to make sure that we have the best practice in place. So if it does happen, or we, pre- we prevent it from happening, that we protect the members and try and prevent it from happening. But at least if it does happen that we have ensure that we've done as much as we can. And I think it's important that when and if policies and procedures are changed, that they need to be communicated to the staff. And it's no harm to get everybody together in a little huddle on a, well, sorry, uh, in, the, in the middle of a pandemic, a, a socially distant huddle and, and communicate what the changes are, why they've been made. And as, and as well as that, it's important that staff are able to explain the changes to members when they come into the counter. So, for example, if you had a credit union and the procedure was that the child could sign on their own after seven and they decided, actually, do you know what, we're going to change that procedure so that it's the parent and the child. That That's going to come as a surprise to some members when they come in and staff need to be able to explain why the change has happened so that, that members aren't upset at the counter or, you know, that they leave with a bad taste in their mouth because they haven't been able to to complete a transaction that they wanted to do. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And actually what we have begun doing ourselves, we take the, the application form for, for juniors. We actually have little notes on the application form explaining these things where a member, where a parent had been asked to sign that there's a note there. I'm just looking at it here now. I understand when making withdrawal, the minor signature is not required when the minor is, is under the age of seven. And from 7 to 16, the minor signature is required along with the parent, guardians or trustees on the account. So we've actually put that little help box there almost, which actually helps the staff at the, at the call face as well. When the member, when the parent is signing or if they come back in later stage and oh, I didn't sign that, where we can actually pull out that form and we can say the signature and there's the statement under it. So it just re, re, it just takes out the friction and, you know, there can be no blame then because the parent has signed it. The box is there, the little help box is there for them to understand what they're signing as well. So, yeah, I think that's a very good point. If we move on then to the next ombudsman's decision then, which is also another very important decision for credit unions. And we ourselves have, re- have changed our loan protection life savings cover recently. And I know well over half Dublin credit unions have reduced the insurance cover from 12,000 or down to 5,000 or 3,000 or made some changes to it. So the ombudsman recently ruled in favour of credit union. And I suppose the decision of the ombudsman there considers two key things for the credit unions. And first is the importance of clear procedures and communication. 
And the second is the importance of the board's responsibility to make decisions on behalf of their membership as a whole and making sure that they're looking at the total membership rather than individual members. In relation to credit unions managing their cost base, how important would you say that this decision is and what advice would you have for credit unions around this area of member benefits themselves? I think it's a very important decision. And I think a lot of credit unions who are considering reducing their insurance cover will probably have breathed a sigh of relief to say that the ombudsman ruled in favour of the credit union in this instance. But looking at it, that credit union took all the right steps. The board got together, it reviewed what it was doing, it reviewed the cost of doing what it was doing, and it put together a good communication plan to its members to say, this is what we're doing, this is why we're doing and, and this is why we're doing it. And at the minute, I suppose, when I look at everything that's going on, the sector is incredibly challenged from the point of view of negative interest rates on, on investments and downward pressure on loan books and that nobody really wants to borrow anything because we're all locked up at home, unable to go anywhere. Um, members are, are saving uh, every last penny that they have and costs are rising. You know, I think... The, the sector from a viability point of view is challenged and credit unions need to undertake a review to make sure that they have done everything they can to manage costs and income uh, levels and secure the long term viability. So I think it is very important if we were talking about a business that wasn't a credit union, we would be saying implement whatever appropriate cost cutting measures are necessary. Um, and the same is true within the credit union sector. I had one credit union that described it to me as being a lean machine that's ready to take on what, what comes at them in terms of the challenges that it faces. I think, yes, boards have an obligation to do what is necessary for the good of the membership as a whole to ensure that, you know, whatever credit union it is, is there in two, three, four, five years time by doing it in such a way that they, they haven't communicated fully and effectively with the membership base as to why they're doing it and why the changes are necessary, communicating it clearly and making members aware of the change. Yeah, I think communication is definitely key. And I say we've gone through this ourselves. We did a lot of communicating with our members and we still we did get pushback from the members, obviously, as a result of it as well. And we held it, even you say with covid prevented us we were going to do a public sort of meeting about it but COVID couldn't but we did a virtual public meeting back in October before we two, two months before we implemented the changes and then we implemented changes we wrote out to their members we had communicated in the previous year's age couple of, in each of the previous year's AGMs that this was under review and that's what is very important that it is clearly communicated even despite that we actually still had a group of members who called an SGM of the credit union but look at that was another opportunity to, to discuss the reasons the rationale behind it and the changes we brought in were very much trying to balance the getting the cost savings required for the credit union and trying to retain a level of sustainable benefits for the members but I think all credit unions are going to have to look at the life savings now even even ourselves who've just recently implemented a change in light of COVID we're going to have to look at it again and when you look at credit unions around the country putting in share caps and we're also incentivizing savings coming in and putting in share caps. It's a bit of contradiction in terms doing the two of them. So I think credit unions are going to have to look at other ways of providing benefits for members that encourage the correct 
the correct actions of the members that, you know, we want more members borrowing, so maybe we should be doing more around rewarding the borrowers rather than rewarding the savers. I know the savers are very important as well. I don't don't underestimate that, but I think it's something we need to look at. So, yeah, so look at, yeah, I think it's very important. I think on both of those two cases, I think what's very, very clear in both of them is communication is critical and having clear communication, clear documentation, clear procedures and policies in place that both the staff and the members are fully aware of and then implementing it according to the third to those procedures are very important so michelle look at i'd like to thank you very much so from an rbk point of view what are what's rbk up to at the moment is there how are you, how are you working with credit unions and what sort of what what things can you do for credit unions or where, where are you helping credit unions at the moment so i i mentioned there that that we're assisting our clients to do thematic reviews in the in the whole area of minor accounts but look at i suppose we're currently acting for about 60 credit unions um as i mentioned i lead out the day-to-day delivery of that service um, we do internal audit, uh, outsource risk, outsource compliance. Um, if you're thinking of doing a merger, we can facilitate helping you with the merger work. And um, we can do one-off pieces of work, like we can come in and help you to just review your policies and procedures uh, in the whole area of minor accounts. If that, if you, if that's something that is of interest to any of your listeners out there. Um, and look, what we have um, in-house HR uh, team as well that that can provide. HR assistance and HR support, um, and and look at you know I'm involved with some credit unions to help them to do a bit of training around governance, uh, risk that that sort of thing, um, you know just to to, to get a, a different perspective from maybe some of the online courses, um, although they are done virtually at at the minute. So look at we we provide the whole suite of services um, to the sector, and uh, if any of your listeners want to get in touch. I'm more than happy to to take a call from them to discuss their needs. Thanks very much for that, and thanks very much for your time, Michelle. Look, and that's it now for this episode. The links for the Ombudsman's decisions will be up on the website, and I'd ask you to please subscribe on iTunes or YouTube or any podcast player of your choice. And as I say, check out the website where we'll have the links, and we'll talk to you in the next episode. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Credit Union Discussions. Please subscribe on iTunes and leave a comment or any other podcast app of your choice. Check out our website on www.cud.ie and register for our forum and leave a message or a suggestion and join the conversation.